Good afternoon, uh, and delighted uh, this afternoon we're going to um, be hearing from Lucy, Lucy Kuhn, who is the uh, Google Digital News Research Fellow here at the Reuters Institute. She has many other academic roles as well. I first met Lucy, I think, 15 years ago, something yeah. like that, and she was doing research uh, on culture at the BBC and uh, the early stages of digital integration there, um, and she's now been doing some really uh, interesting and valuable work on uh, digital transformation and innovation in media organisations. So she's going to bring us up to date on where she is with all, all of those thoughts. So Lucy. Oh, thank you, Richard. Thank you. Um, okay, so I'm going to talk about the context in which you do your journalism, really. So it's, I know for a lot of you it's not the sexiest area, it's not the most interesting area. What I really research and focus on is the organisations where digital takes place, digital journalism takes place. Um, and what I'm going to do is essentially blend findings from um, research I did when I was previously a research fellow here, which was looking at successful tran transformation in digital news, and then give some early findings into research I'm doing now, which is kind of taking that further. And what I also thought I'd do is give a bit of time to sharing with you how I'm approaching my research and challenges I'm having with it and how I'm trying to get around those because I know all of you are also engaged in research in this field that is moving exceedingly fast and it, it really is quite difficult in fact to design robust research with useful findings I think it's, it's a real challenge. Um, so I thought I'd give a bit of time to that um, and I'd like to make it really interactive, so feel free to ask anything at any point. Um, kind of tried to make it as interactive as possible. Um, so what I'm talking about, it might set, feel a bit random, and I might, might, you might have suspect I'm making all kinds of unsupported assertions. What I'm actually doing is pulling on three bits of work I did before. One is a research that has actually not yet got published. It got hijacked by other work, where I talked to 36 CEOs of legacy media organisations and I really wanted to know what the last 15 years had felt like for them and I guess the question really was, despite the fact that they had very good advisors, they were smart individuals, they had very strong brands, why had they not made a better fist of digital technologies, the internet? What had, what had been so difficult in terms of this transformation? The next thing, which was this book, was actually in some ways the answer to that, where I looked at five digital news companies that were being relatively successful with digital news. And success is a really loaded concept. Um, I looked at New York Times, Guardian, Quartz, BuzzFeed, and Vice. And that is really like apples and kumquats and mangoes, completely different organizations, different fundings, but nonetheless, they're having a degree of success. And from that, I tried to kind of filter out common elements in how they're approaching digital news, quality news journalism. And then this one it was really actually in some ways the most interesting. This is a textbook I wrote 2008, which kind of, um, in terms of my academic background, I've looked at organizational theory, strategic theory. So what I tried to do is pull out from this huge river of theory which concepts are most useful for the media industry. This book came out 2008. The iPhone was not yet available in Europe, and Facebook didn't exist. <laughs> so it was basically, within 18 months, massively out of date. And the publisher said last year, can I update it? They, and they just said, just throw in a few new cases and it's fine. 
which was, in the end, I had to rewrite 60% of it. And that was a really interesting process because it forced me to really look at what has changed in the last eight years in the media industry. And it's massive. But a lot of our concepts, a lot of the concepts that people running the media organization are operating on draw on that, that past. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. So there's kind of four premises. And the first premise, I think, is we're really at the end of the beginning of this. You know, the internet is now two decades old. And whereas you do find a few people still using the term new media, we have whole generations who have never not known social media, who heart me can't imagine life without emails. Um, so really, essentially, we're two decades on. And I think in terms of how the media run themselves and organizations, whereas we had a very high velocity beginning with the dot-com bubble and the dot-com crash, now we've got, we kind of know what we're dealing with. The structure is there of the digital industries. And that's much, much, that's a much better starting point from which to decide how we're going to run ourselves as organizations. The problem is that the picture that emerges is really, really challenging. Um, and a fundamental split, I think, that is really important to make is the context. And there is a, you are in a very different world if you're in an established news organization with a past or if you're in a pure play startup. And really, you need completely different recipes. And I think one of the problems in the current environment is a lot of recipes from the kind of Silicon Valley startup era have been just pulled into classic media organizations. They don't work very well because they're different animals. So I think. This is one of the challenges for organizations, is that in the past, if you go back to 1950s, when, earlier when mass media started, one product for all audiences, something for everything. And in the 1980s, thanks to technology advances, we got the niche era. So on top of the mass market level, if you're the BBC or a newspaper, you, you started to add on either specialist channels or, or specialist supplements. So you had the mass market level, and then you had an area of products for niches, so you've added a bit of complexity there. 1990s, we started to add on the whole online part of the business. Another layer went into the businesses. And more recently, obviously, the whole social mobile area. So if you're an established media company, essentially, you're now having to stretch your resources and your attention over a really complex field of different operations. And they've all got to talk to each other. If you're a BuzzFeed or a Vice or a Vox, you've just come in here. You've got a much, much simpler organization uh, to run. And I think this, it's really important not to underestimate just how complex this is if you're inside media organizations. And you've got all kinds of legacy everything. You've got legacy systems. You've got legacy audiences. You've got legacy relationships. So this is a very complex world. And I think in terms of audiences, it's fantastic. We have extreme levels of choice in terms of what we want to consume from where, in what ways. But for organizations, much more complexity. And obviously, for classic media organizations, in most cases, revenues have gone down quite dramatically. So they're trying to deal with all these various layers with, with less resources. And I think the other big shift is actually the role of the platforms. It's not new to any of you, but it, it's kind of like strategically what you call a wicked problem. It's insoluble. It's a gravity problem. They are there now. They're like a kind of new mountain range that's come up in, you know, the, and, the, and, and it's got to be navigated. And it's, 
What it means is actually mass. The media were used to having mass audiences. If you look at what the audience of a Facebook or a Snapchat is, the old conception of a mass media audience is actually a fraction of what, what a mass audience is really like. And this whole picture is to do with loss, you know, loss of contact, direct contact to users, loss of revenues, loss of data. It's, this is a very, very difficult world. Uh, so, uh, massive complexity, different environment because of the platforms, and all kinds of opportunities that are emerging very quickly. But we looked at this morning when we talked about digital video, really, really hard to assess. Is this a real opportunity? Do, do audiences really want it? Everyone's talking about it. Do we move into it? So, on top of this complexity, these other themes or, or new platforms, new products that come in that we need to make a response to, that eat up these valuable, scarce resources we have. Now, if you turn to the kind of field of strategy, what you can see, this is just a photograph from a classic strategy text. In blue here, this is really actually how most classic media organisations are trying to respond to this difficulty which is what they're trying to do is improve their relationship with their users, with their readers, with their audiences. They're laying, they're putting all of their eggs into really serving those audiences better and, and cementing their future in that way. But if you look at a lot of their competitors who have one foot, if not two feet, in the tech industry and are backed by, particularly those backed by venture capital, they've got a bigger, much bigger palette of strategic advantages. So they have... Um, much better the information on consumer behaviour. And say you look at people like Netflix or you look at BuzzFeed, you know, at the heart of those organisations is this kind of massive data analytics engine. And obviously a lot of media organisations are now retrofitting that. But it's very hard to retrofit. It's very hard to retrofit in terms of the complexity of what you're trying to insert into an existing system, but it's also complex in terms of the cultural shift. It's easy to set up a company in Netflix or a BuzzFeed with that from <coughs> the start, but to try and fit it in later when another set of values were there before is, is a real challenge. And I think anyone who's worked with organisations who've tried to put serious data analytics capabilities in, there is a lot of tension around journalistic values and motivation. It's, it's a very, very <coughs> difficult thing to insert. Um, in terms of developing new features, I mean, the new players are designed to be innovative. They're designed to move very quickly to experiment. If they're venture capital-based, venture capital rewards high levels of risk. But if you're an established organization, high-level risk is a really dangerous strategy. But, that's, you know, and, but the more risks you take, the more shots, the more goals. Um, and obviously the capital issue. They compete against players with very, very deep pockets. Um, and if I talk, if I, when I did this research with the CEOs, what was really interesting is one of the questions I asked that came up with the most interesting response was simply, what, looking back, what's the one thing you really got wrong, you wish you'd done differently in the last 15 years? And about two-thirds of them came up with the same answer, which was essentially our worst-case scenario wasn't really bad enough. We had, we had no idea how difficult this environment was going to get and how it would carry on getting difficult. We wouldn't kind of make a big effort, solve it, and then we'd be on a kind of more or less even keel. It just continues to get more and more challenging. Um, 
And what they've done as organisations, which I think is quite intelligent, is kind of understandable, is when I asked, so how have you been approaching strategy? If you're a large organisation, you always have a strategy. You have a five-year strategy and a ten-year strategy. How are you handling that? And what seems to have happened is, because of all these very fast changes in the environment, the need to add data, the need to launch apps, the need to get your social media strategy right, the need to, to handle digital video. What's happened is they've shifted from really seriously thinking about where are we going with this industry to handling all of these very important issues that have been popping up with enormous regularity. So what they were saying is, yes, we did have a strategy, but looking back, what happened is we were very, it felt very opportunistic. We responded to opportunities as they emerged regardless of what our plan had said. A lot of firefighting. Um, it didn't feel at all like a strategy at the time. If we look back, we can see there was a kind of trajectory, and it felt really like we were rebuilding the aeroplane in mid-flight. I think that's all very understandable, but the problem is if you look at the players they're competing against, they really have a sense of their end game right from the start. You know, if you... They've, uh, the silly, especially the Silicon Valley players, they know exactly where they want the game to end. So this is actually a, there's a huge opportunity cost to abdicating a long-term strategy. And it's entirely understandable why this has been happened, but why this has been happening. But one of my arguments is it's a very, very dangerous um, decision to make. So if, if I look at this book, essentially the core finding was Convergence happened, and I don't know how many of you remember the concept of convergence, which was this, there was a lot of discussion about this in, in industry at the time, which was media, telecoms, and IT coming together gradually. It has happened, but essentially what has happened more or less, I think, is that the media industry is being ingested by the technology industry more and more. And what you see in terms of media organisations is, I think the big story has been the ascendancy of technology right into the heart of media organisations. It's gone from being the plumbing that allows content to go out, it's become really intrinsic to content creation, content dissemination, relationships with audiences. And I think for a lot of established media, there's a big expertise investment deficit in this area because it's being added on later, and I think there's a big cultural challenge. Um, and then, it's, I think it's really interesting to look at the people that are causing all the problems, which are the disruptors. And I think the challenge with disruptors is not understanding what's going on. The challenge is really being able to respond. And I think the biggest example of how difficult it is to respond is really centers on Netflix and the American TV industry. Um, so I'm just going to go through this very quickly. Um, Okay, this is the, 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 red, the red line at the top is HBO, right? So HBO, very, always a premium player, charged very high subscriptions, consistently made a lot of money and won a lot of industry rec recognition, won a lot of Academy Awards and Emmys for its production. So highly creative, high quality products, and they were making a lot of money, and they were very consistent and very secure about their future. What you have done here is an organization that starts off sending... DVDs out in, in padded bags, padded envelopes, Sharp starts to shift into streamed content, and then gradually starts to encroach on HBO's territory. And I think when I look at this, it's always interesting to think, when should the board of HBO actually started to have worried about this? And probably 
seriously around here, although the, the stream activity was really, really <coughs> tiny. But you can see within three years, actually, they had taken on HBO. And what you have here is 2014, uh, Netflix actually overtakes HBO. And this is a fantastic example of humble bragging, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we still respect them, they're fantastic, but we've, we've overtaken them. So that's 2014, and what's, I think what's really interesting, if you look at this, this was from last year. So here you've got, and this is just the US market, as Julia pointed out yesterday. It's not, it's not the worldwide growth, it's just in the US. They've continued to massively add growth. And what you can see here is their competitors, who now know what they're dealing with, are still having huge problems managing to firstly um, put a break on their own, the, the downward momentum in their own businesses, but secondly, get, seize any of the growth that Netflix. And for me, this is just really a picture of, even if you've identified a problem, if you have a large, complex organization, it's still incredibly hard to turn it around and capitalize and profit for some of the growth that goes to the new players. And I think really, I mean, none of these companies are, are run by idiots. They're all very, very smart players. They know what's happening in their industry, but they found it terribly, terribly difficult to address this shift. Um, so I think there's really no space for complacency in this battle. Now, with this book here, as I explained, I kind of took five players, and I was trying to filter out to see, okay, are there any common elements in how the New York Times, Guardian, Quartz, BuzzFeed, Vice, approach the task of digital news? And kind of surprisingly, there were common elements in what they did. And this is really, this bubble diagram kind of shows what they were, and really only focus on the blue elements. The three in the middle you find in high-performing organizations anywhere, and they are essentially a very, very clear strategy coupled with a very, very clear mission inside the organization, a very clear sense of this is what we are trying to do as a news organization. You might not like it. You might not agree. You know, BuzzFeed gives its vision as, um, or it did for a while, you know, um, providing content for people that are bored at work. That might not be your vision. <laughs> Clearly, The Guardian had a different vision about, you know, uh, liberal news for international left-leaning left audiences or whatever, but very, very clear, very clear sense of purpose and a very clear strategy coming out of that. And the benefit of that in an environment where resources are strained is that what you get is very clear priorities, very clear boundaries. These organizations had a very clear sense of this is what we're doing, but this is what we're not doing you also got much faster decision-making because people knew intuitively, yes, this, this ties in with what we're trying to do, this is not. A um, lot of prioritization, very uh, help in avoiding distractions. Equally important was very compelling leadership, very smart leadership. So these leaders had, on one hand, um, developed these strategies, and none of them, actually, as far as I could work out, had any background in classic strategy. Um, and I can send you all these slides, by the way. So, um, but I think partly the ability in a difficult market to find a strategic way forward, um, an ability to redefine that vision, you know, to, to find a pivot when, when the strategy wasn't playing out, when the markets are developing in an unexpected ways to be able to move. But terrifically important was credibility with the culture. 
Because I think, as you all know, journalists are a very, very difficult population to lead. They're very intelligent, they're trained to question, they're trained to be cynical, they feel they own language, so they're very, very allergic to management jargon. So it's a really difficult population to sell a strategy, especially if that strategy perhaps involves people doing things against their own individual interest, you know, doing something for the greater good or moving into areas like data, like being data-informed, that, that actually raises little alarm bells. And these were individuals, so Jonah Peretti or Mark Thompson or Alan <coughs> Rusbridger or uh, Kevin Delaney, who, in fact, a lot of the interviewees would say to me at some point, apropos of nothing, you know, I'd go over a cliff for X. You know, I, I just really believe what he's trying to do, and I, I, will, I will give him the benefit of the doubt. So I think it's this, this credibility with the culture is really, really important if you're trying to lead these organizations across these very difficult change um, environments. And I think in terms of, you know, the deep journalism environment, there's two issues that really emerged. The first is increasing levels of synthesis between technology, journalism, and commercial ideas. Um, and this kind of deep integration of tech had a number of dimensions. Firstly, increasing levels of data-driven or response-driven elements to the content creation. Um, the development of a cadre of digital editorial thinkers. So these are journalists who have a developing sense of digital storytelling and how you can use the whole panoply of digital storytelling tools to get the story out. Um, and I was talking to someone at The Guardian about this and he said it used to be, you know, have developers sitting in the newsroom with journalists, but increasingly you're getting journalists who can code, who, 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 who sort of synthesize in one individual these two, these two strands. Um, and underlying this is this kind of pro-digital culture. And what that looked at essentially, firstly, an absence of nostalgia. So you didn't get this sense of the back of the head, people just wished the internet had never been invented and they could go back to being proper journalists or proper editors or proper news, news, uh, news hounds or whatever. And a sense that digital is essentially an opportunity. It's a very difficult market, but digital storytelling is quite fascinating. The feedback from audiences is quite fascinating and an open-mindedness about um, what format a story should take in order to find its audiences. So that was that research. Um, so coming out of that, moving on to the research I'm doing now, I think really the core premise I've got um, underlying this is actually the real challenge I feel is organisational. I think because journalists, quality news organisations, tend to have actually very, very smart staff, assuming they have the technology they need. I don't think there's any issue around transforming the content in the way it needs to be transformed. But I think there's an equivalent need to transform their organizations. And I think that is less interesting, but it's never been a priority for media organizations. There tends to often to be a kind of anti-managerial, anti-business bias. And I think they really need to take this very seriously. Otherwise, there's a risk they don't perform as well as they should simply because they're not using the resources they've got and they're not moving as fast as they should be. Um, so the research I'm doing now, I'm building directly on innovators in digital news and 
What I really want to do is focus very hard on best practice in terms of this organizational transformation. So I really wanted to try and build a roadmap of what does best practice look like? Which organizations are ahead in any of these dimensions? And ideally create a kind of diagnostic tool so organizations can say, can sort of assess, okay, if these are the priorities, we have got X and Y perfectly, but Z we have been ignoring and that's where we need to put the focus. And I'm focusing particularly on three elements. So at the bottom, the issue of what are their strategies like and the issue of agility. And these are sort of actually in opposition. Strategy is about a kind of long-term view. And the basic, one of the basic principles guiding that is it's, disruption is really fun if you're on the right side of it. Facebook is on the right side of it. Snapshot chat has been on the right side of it. It's horrible if you're on the wrong side of it. And I think it's a, it's a matter of acknowledging that and working out how is, what is a credible plan for a sustainable future here? What is our end game? What are possible end game options for us? And how do we get there? So this is about a kind of long-term building, uh, a long-term stone. But I think there's another important element around agility, the ability to move fast which I think is tremendously difficult. This was someone from BuzzFeed, the chairman, who said, essentially, the goal of pivoting is you realize how the world is changing and you take advantage of it. And a lot of classic media, I think, is you realize how the world's changing, you just decide how we're going to manage it. You know, this idea of you don't only see how it's changing and you could deal with it, you actually see what's the opportunity for us in that. And I think the issue here is, is the ability to execute what Silicon Valley calls the pivot, which is changing direction. Um, and the, bit, the bits in there that are really tricky, I think, are around shifting resources from areas that aren't working anymore, that are eating up a lot of resources. And I think um, for established organizations, strategic elegant exits are really, really hard, take up a huge amount of energy and time and involve a lot of very difficult decisions and discussions. And I think because they're so difficult, a lot of those discussions have been uh, have not taken place. Um, upper layer, there's three kind of very operational issues I'm looking at, um, which are essentially, how is this insertion of technolo technology, digital and data working out? What does best practice look like in that? Um, and active culture management. If, similarly to, to this issue of um, some of the issues I've talked about before. What you see with culture management, a lot of classic organizations in all disrupted sectors assume that culture is always an obstacle. If you look at how a lot of the new companies organize themselves, they assume that you use culture, you actively manage culture, which is not really manipulation, but you actually assume that you can manage culture to drive performance. And I think there's a lot of learning that needs to take place there. And then on top of that, um, these are the issues that are kind of emerging. This is, I mean, it's much, it's not as linear as this looks, obviously. What I'm looking at particularly is the role of product. What does that mean? Who is doing it? It seems to be a transitory issue. It seems to be one of these hot themes that's flamed up right now, and it's, I think, beginning to die down. Um, how to respond to the platform's data. It seems that data analytics, the introduction of data analytics, is one of the most useful ways to change the culture in an organization if it's done right. And a lot of culture change seems to be coming on the back of introducing data analytics. 
Um, organizational design. If, you, if you're in a situation where we have these issues coming up, newsletters, notifications, apps, whatever, there is a need, I think, to what we're seeing more and more is the emergence of small teams handling a particular product or particular issue. But how is that handled long term? There needs to be a kind of systematized approach. So what it seems to be one's looking at is shifting towards the kind of semi-autonomous team structure rather than a fixed organizational structure. User experience, which is tied into this whole issue of actually turning products into habits, which also clearly has a shadow side around making products addictive. I mean, this is a very difficult area. Learning and training, and obviously metrics. So we all have newsroom metrics, but what's interesting also, I think, are the strategic metrics, the kind of God metrics used inside the organization to guide change. And again, what I'm seeing with the organizations I'm looking at now is a lot of them have quite interesting one metric they use as a kind of shorthand to, to judge their success in the shifts they're doing. Um, if I look at where I, how I'm handling this, there's kind of three strands in what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm doing primary research, that's talking to people. I'm doing a lot of desk research, that's, that is desk research into the cases I want to do. And then I'm doing literature, literature review, kind of reading around the themes and issues I'm interested in. It's kind of falling into three stages. The first stage was kind of confirming the initial hypotheses I had. That's more or less done. I'm now kind of going deeper into the key concepts. And then the last stage will be to kind of really pin down what best practice looks like and try and develop this kind of diagnostic tool. Um, in terms of the uh, confirming the thesis, the core premises that, that absolutely people do seem to feel this is helpful, this, do seem to feel this is something that needs to be done. Um, so stage one is done. I've done about 22 interviews and I've tried to talk to a really diverse set of companies. Companies I'm not, where I'm perhaps not that sympathetic to the product, companies that don't seem particularly advanced, I think there's a problem in our field that we get a, a small set of companies everyone's interested in. They're covered permanently in the news sources we read. And there's a danger that we get into our own kind of echo chamber about this digital transition issue. So I've really tried to talk very broadly in different countries to different types of organizations. Um, and what I'm trying to do as a kind of challenge to myself is I'm really trying to disprove received wisdoms. I'm trying to look for anomalies. I'm trying to look for companies who don't fit this pattern and how are they managing to step aside. Um, and I'm also looking very hard for best practice. In terms of um, the challenges, um, one big issue is the speed of change. So like this product issue took uh, about a month trying to understand what is product, what are all these product directors doing? And I talked to a lot of people about this role of product and then I hit someone who said, yeah, well, that's gone now. We've kind of solved that one. That's not so, you know, it's kind of disappeared into about seven page, seven, seven line paragraph. The second issue, which was actually a problem in the last book, is that when a company's getting it right, there's always such individual reasons why they're getting it right there's a real challenge to say, is there any learning here for anyone else? If you're not backed by Anderson Horowitz, if you don't have um, a charitable trust owning 30% of your shares, 
is any of this relevant because they're in such a particular issue, in such a particular situation? Um, access is always a problem. Um, what's happening with, with the last book, access to any company that has venture capital owning ownership is very, very difficult because the venture capitalists are always thinking about the exit. They're always thinking about selling this, 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 this organization on. And in order to, that's their prime reason, right? This is an investment for them. And they therefore have to very carefully manage the message, manage the narrative about this company. And that means they are very, very nervous about letting researchers in because there is a risk you might write something that is going to really screw up the exit further down the line. So what you find with, with VCs, they have this very thin skin and you tend to get channeled to the corporate communications people who want very long, detailed information about what is it, what is it you want to talk about. Um, so just bear in mind, if you're, if you're going to research any of the companies that are VC-backed, be prepared for getting access. It always works but it can be uh, very long-winded. So I remember one particular interview with BuzzFeed was 64 emails till you know, this <laughs> interview actually happened. And it was fine. It was a great interview, but it's don't give up. But the other issue actually with classic media has been Trump. So I did this kind of initial qualification. I finished it in November, just before the, the presidential elections. And then I thought, OK, now I need to do, go to some primary research. And, Clearly, quality news organizations are very tied up with the election. And then I thought, OK, I'll wait till the election's over, and then it'll all calm down. But it hasn't calmed down. And quite legitimately, I think they... I haven't even actually, in many cases, bothered to bother them, because I think um, it's really not fair. They should be focusing on other issues. So that's really slowed things down for me. But actually, in a way, it's been a benefit, because I've, it's allowed me to dig much deeper into the other research and firm up my ideas. So I've kind of turned it a bit on its head. I've, I've gone much further with the writing than I did with the last one. So I'm actually in the second stage. I'm also doing a lot of confirming what I've developed in secondary research. And then the last one is, get, even when you get inside the organizations, you get this kind of spring, this geezer of, of very rich granular detail that you don't really know what the hell to do with. You know it's very real and it's very helpful, so I just tried to put a kind of collage together. So this is, um, uh, he runs product at Shipstead. He's called Espen Sundve, and he actually could have come from Central Casting. You know, uh, he's really, he was so generous with his time. I think this was about, we spent about five hours over two interviews, and he was trying to explain to me how they handle product, and, and they've been incredibly forward-looking in terms of structuring product and how that drives the whole organizational structure and strategy and editorial strategies. And this was you know, very, very technical. This is, um, again, a very generous interviewee at The Guardian who I, I started saying, can you please map how tech and um, tech editorial and commercial are coming together? And then it kind of seeped into this discussion of their current strategy, where they want to be in five years' time, and you know, the OKR metrics they're doing to manage that. Um, and then in terms of data, this is their orphan. This is a shot from their orphan which is their data analytics tool. And then from that, we went into quite a long discussion about the challenges for, for editors in terms of handling this data. You know, is, is, is a 
an article that's not performing well, is the article not good? Has it been badly promoted? Is it a very valuable article we should be doing even though it's not, it's not performing well? You know, the, the, you, okay, you've got the data, but what do you do with it then? And then, so you start going very deeply into culture and you start actually weirdly going into training. And um, Ship said, this is a, many of you have probably got something like this, but I was completely captivated. So this is the data analytics app, which is on their iPhone. So they, at any point, anyone can look throughout the day and see how many people are reading whatever, whatever it is they're reading. Um, so that's the kind of data which has been, it's really, really interesting, but it, it's kind of hard to digest, chew through. Um, in terms of the companies I'm looking at, um, I'm sort of, here I'm dividing up between Europe and the US. Uh, if they're mixed, you know, digital, digital and, and, pr and print or whatever, or if they're pure play. So these two at the top have very kindly said yes, that's fine, go ahead. Um, the next lot I'm talking to, I've got kind of initial discussions with some people there, but it's not really full access yet. And these are some that I'm looking at, I'm hoping to include as well. But I'm sure all of you who've got involved in, in getting access and getting access to the right people, it's, it's quite laborious and it's very non-linear. You'll get no response and you don't know, have I not got a response because that's a polite way of saying go away? Is it no response because I'm in the spam? Um, and what's, what's the polite way to respond to it? So, and I've really been using, I just had a fantastic uh, exchange with Axel Spring that came over LinkedIn, bizarrely. So there's, there's all kinds of things going on. Um, so that's where I am uh, at the moment on this. So I think that's probably all from my side. Have you got any questions on yours? Oh, I'm sure we have. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs>